welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Um, I can just miss the children's Sunday school classes. Give the kids a big clap as they go this morning. You've been wonderful. If you're visiting for the first time, you can feel very confident in releasing your children to Sunday school. It's all children compliant and uh, all the standards are met as well. Also, if you have small children in the auditorium, we do encourage you on the balcony floor, there is a televised area. And if the children start being children here, would you just bring them to the balcony area? You can watch the service there. You can participate in the service. We would ask any parents that are watching now, God bless you, first of all. But try to treat that area as church because there will be other parents that want to be hearing a word from the Lord. And if you feel you want to respond to the altar, if there's an altar later, please just come um, down after that downstairs. Also, the ground floor, too, there's televised areas as well, just in case you have small little babies. Amen. Praise the Lord. There's a lovely sense of the Lord here this morning. It's all about the presence of God at the end of the day. Amen. Uh, knowing his presence. Uh, I think Hamp was it last week. Was it, you brought that scripture, how shall I not go unless your presence goes with us. There's one of you preachers brought it in here. I can't remember which one, but it's the truth, friends. It is one of the great uh, inheritances. It's one of the great rights of every Christian. Oh, well done, Andy, to, to have that sense of the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. John, you can close the door. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, the easiest, I'm the easiest one distracted here uh, on a Sunday morning. So the doors are open. I see traffic. I'm like, who's out there? Amen. So thank you for that, God. That's not to shut you in. Amen. But if you do have to have a, um, if you have a baby bladder, please just be discreet in how you leave. Amen. And uh, we do encourage people to use bathrooms before they enter church, if at all possible. Amen. Can I say, can I hear an amen this morning? I'm going to play with you. Tomorrow is starting, as Pastor Steve said, a wonderful opportunity for us to, to journey as a church together in prayer. I know some of you might not be, um, you know, um, uh, as I said, as invested because you're so, cons- we can get so consumed with life and family and Corona and all that. And all of a sudden, the three days of prayer and fasting have caught you unaware and you're not prepared. Maybe in your mind to go in, I can tell you right now, you can prepare your heart as we're in the presence of the Lord, and say, God, for these next three days, Lord, it's going to be on to the Lord. Amen. Uh, and, and I was thinking that verse in, in, in Amos chapter 5, I think it is, where the Lord was encouraging his people at that time to seek him and live. That was a tremendous scripture, seek me and live. And uh, that's what God would say to us. I'm not, that's not my message this morning. I nearly changed, actually. It was down there trying to refresh those thoughts because I think it's such a th- thought for another time. But I do remember the verse very, very well. Don't go to Gilgal and don't go to Bethel and go, don't go to Bathsheba, but seek me. In other words, don't look for other sources to get you out of the trouble that you're in. Amen. Seek me. And the word seek is durash in the Hebrew, which means to, for the purpose of worship. And I believe as we take these three days of prayer and fasting, it's a time of worship and dedication to the Lord, and that he is our chief delight. Other revelations, amen, will come into our hearts. Deliverances, understandings, even what to pray for and how to pray for when we make him our chief goal, amen, when our seeking is for the purpose of pure worship, not for the purpose of getting from God. I think that is very stingy out of us when we've gotten so much already, all of a sudden, we come in like some grabby children. Give me more, give me more. Instead of coming and saying, Lord, these three days are first of all to worship you. And worship you by putting other delights to one side. And making you the chief goal uh, over these next few hours to worship you, Lord. And, and, and the Lord says, and you will live. <laughs> and that's a phenomenal word in itself. The Bible says, in him we live. In him we move and we have our being. A lot of Christians are walking around like the walking dead because they're not living in him or through his life. They're living in a natural mode all the time. And that's not what God would have for you, Christian. God would want you and I to experience the supernatural life and the supernatural flow of his grace in our lives so that revelation comes from reading the word. As we worship, the sense of his presence comes so powerfully and that we know and feel the order of God. When we go to work in the mornings, we know that every step is ordered of God. 
So if you're in a place where you're not hearing the Word of God, the Word of God is not being opened to you as you open it and read. It's not doing anything in your heart. Worship is not working for you in the church Sunday morning. You know, and, and everything's becoming like sawdust in your mouth. Then you need to seek Him. You need to seek Him. Amen. You need a fresh touch. Other things have got in your way. Your vision has been blurred somehow along the journey. It could be sin. It could be apathy, which is what most of us face. A little bit of folding of the arms. Uh, you know, a little just becoming a little bit lazy with our Christian walk with the Lord. And I just want to tell you, if you're a gardener, you don't need to do anything in that garden to see things happen. You just do nothing and the weeds will come back, okay? You just do nothing and you'll see very quickly, my wife is a great gardener. We don't have much garden area, like 132 of an acre. It's tiny, but for the little bit of a city center house, area that she has she's a fantastic gardener but i'm telling you she doesn't have to do much at times to see those weeds come back and maybe you've been neglecting your christian life and the weeds have come back what a great way to focus on the lord to seek him and to feel the life of god usher back right into your life and through your life amen again a very warm welcome to you all and we are greeting the lifting of these restrictions we're thanking god for them we are trusting the Lord that this will be a year of, of tremendous growth in the Lord, not just individually, but corporately as a body, that the gospel would go forth, amen, with great power that many would see, many would fear, and many would put their trust in the Lord. And that is our heart's desire this morning, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Praise the Lord. If you have a Bible today, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, the prophet Nehemiah this morning, and a very well-known prophet to you Bible readers but uh, let me bring your reading first of all. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 1. It's not a very large book. Uh, seven or eight chapters, seven chapters I think. But uh, <clears throat> a very, very important character in the Bible. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. <clears throat> it came to pass in the month of Kishlev in the 20th year that I was in Susan, the citadel. That Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with me from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. We have not kept the commandments, not the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of the heavens, yet... I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name, and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now the history, for many of you know it already at this stage, the captivity was coming to an end. Israel had 70 years under the rule of Babylon and Assyria. King Cyrus had already issued a decree uh, nearly 30 years earlier actually, where Zerubbabel led 100,000 people back to Israel and they, they reformed again. There was a remnant was able to return. The land was utterly destroyed. Uh, Jerusalem was utterly destroyed. The were, walls were burnt down. The temple was burnt. A million people died at that time during the siege when the Babylonians came for the third and last time and sacked the city. And they exec executed a horrendous judgment against the Jews. The Jews had been faltering in their faith, running from God, having terrible um, 
backsliding in a terrible way and true to form of course god you know warned them and warned them prophet after prophet but they didn't listen to the word of the lord and went into this terrible exile and god had predicted this the prophet jeremiah had predicted this the prophets have been telling them this is going to happen to you but it's going to be for a season and of course the season that ended israel had returned and they had built the temple that was the first thing that the jews did so a remnant had returned back into the land and um, you know even that temple that temple took i think over 21 years to actually build the labor was only four and a half years it had so many stops and starts in its journey they I mean they had every time they went out to build something for god and you must remember this as a christian every time you seek to build the kingdom you will always have the enemy rise up and resist you it's always going to happen uh, you know if you're going to enter into this uh, three days of prayer and fasting or you have any sense of ownership to the principles of the kingdom you're not going to get up there and build without opposition you have to expect that there's a spiritual force against you trying to keep you back all the time trying to cloud your mind cloud your judgment and that's the spiritual side your own flesh then with all its own self-seeking reasons and israel of old was exactly the same they had demonic attack coming through uh, uh, to people who didn't want to see the jews return to their homeland and they had legal attack they had to go to law they had to go to courts you know and, and and so the work in the temple was put back and put back and then there was laziness the people didn't want to do it Haggai had to come and say to them is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while my temple lies in ruins so the people had fallen into apathy so they they had this great sense of oh yeah we're going to build a temple for the lord and then they you know they get they, the foot comes off the gas a little bit and then they have all these things attacked but thanks be to god it was established the temple worship was returned and yet this remnant of jews were still very vulnerable actually just by way of, uh, of communicating some good news to you i was in a church last sunday that's why i had to leave early i went to this church in dublin beautiful beautiful church romanian church congregation of about 12 1400 people they built this incredible sanctuary i mean incredible church i have been in many churches all over the world this is one of the prettiest one of the nicest holds 1500 people car parking children's rooms pastors rooms counseling rooms absolutely gorgeous and you know the romanians are not known for their wealth and the pastor came to me he said you know he said every single stone every bit of cement every bit of carpentry every bit of electrical work and plumbing and design team and all these things was all done by labor that was given free to us by our congregation i'm telling you the building is probably three or four million euros worth easily if it's a penny and he said everything what you're walking in is this our men did that and if they couldn't do it they hired other men for 100 euros a day out of their own pocket because they were in another job to do their job for them I was just thinking man, and that temple went up in three years to the glory of god from a poor congregation amen it shows you what people can do when they get behind vision isn't it the true heart of them and i'm sure they were tested this project was in lieu for a while just like israel of all was tested and i'm sure apathy came in and i'm sure there was a little bit of you know wanting to pull back from the cost of doing this but eventually the temple was built in jerusalem just like Britannia Church in Dublin was built, and what a great joy to be able to walk through the doors of that church and see hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, last Sunday was their prayer and fasting week, and um, there was, I think there must have been six, 700 people at the Sunday night meeting as we ministered the word of God, or seeking the face of God, amen. So God is building his church, amen. And the gates of hell is not prevailing against it. But here we are, 12 years after the establishment of the temple in Jerusalem, this man, Nehemiah, hears a report all the way he, he when someone comes back from jerusalem he wants to hear an update you must remember there was no satellite tv there's no mobile phones it's 900 miles away it's a three-month journey by horseback to get from babylon right back into into jerusalem and so he hears this report that the walls are broken down there is a discouragement among the remnant of the jews that are there they're very vulnerable that's an ancient world where where tribes of any description could come in at any moment and ransack and, and pillage and rape and murder their children and their wives and they knew this they were very vulnerable they, they felt that uneasiness there and this man was burdened now i i, I love jeremiah uh, nehemiah I've, I've preached him many times I, I love this man because this is a man that has never been in jerusalem in his life he was born in captivity he was born as a you know, mom and dad gave birth to him in babylon so he has no memory there's nothing in him about jerusalem he's a babylonianite and all to all intents and purpose he's 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 a city boy you know he's never been out in the sticks 
But God had put his hand upon this man and raised him up to a position of tremendous influence because he was a cupbearer to the king of Toxicus. And so that king was the, was, the, was, the, was the supreme leader over that empire at that time. And he had this position of privilege, being the cupbearer to the king. He would taste the wine in case there was poison in it or make sure that the food and the diet of the king was protected. And so he, he was in a position of great trust and cupbearers and kings became very close confidants. That's always down through history. So this young Jewish man, you could say, was elevated and God had put him into position and he's in a comfortable job. You know, he's got it made, if you want to put it this way. The pension is well lined up. He's well catered for. His children and offspring will be well looked after by the king. He's loved by the king. He's trusted by the king. And it's a position that you would not exploit for your own ends. A king, and you know yourself when people try to exploit you because you can get 20% discount in JD Sports, which I'm always chasing after some of my friends for. Uh, are you, uh, you work in Tesco and someone wants to get your, 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 your 10% reduction there, whatever it is, you just know when people are angling. Don't worry, kings also know when you're angling and try to abuse the position that all of a sudden it's not about the true nature of your position and relationship, it's about what you can get from him. And Nehemiah would be mindful of that. He would not have been a presumptuous man, but he's overwhelmed by the burden. He's overwhelmed when he hears and sees the need of his brethren. He's broken, and it said he prayed and he fasted for many months. This wasn't an emotional decision because some preacher came to town and touched him for a few moments, and he came to some short-lived altar, and he went off and told his friends that, oh, I'm so moved for Africa, I'm so moved for Ireland, and then it whittled away within a day or two, friends. He, 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 what did that mean? he incubated that burden in the place of prayer and fasting. You see, God does give us burdens, friends. He does. He does touch our hearts to the preacher that comes to town. He does touch our hearts at altars. But it is elongated times spent in his presence is what will incubate that burden and grow it within you. And that, that man showed us nine months, friends. Nine months he's fasting and praying. This is not some emotional decision. I, I want to pray that God will give you an such burden. Amen. That God would move in our heart, that it would not just be three days, but some of you will move into prayer and fasting as a lifestyle. It will always be there one day a week, something God might speak to you or speak to many, that there's something far bigger at play in our world today than just commerce, friends, and paying bills. Men and women, boys and girls are going to a lost eternity right now, friends. People are slipping off into eternity. Loved ones. I have an uncle-in-law just passed away. Didn't know the Lord from what we understood, friends. What sadness. It was great that in many ways for our sister this morning, Maureen, her dad, it's awful to bury your dad, but he knew the Lord. So we don't mourn as those who have no hope, friends, but there's those out there, there's those out there today, friends, have no hope. They have no hope. They don't know why they exist. They don't know what life's about. They don't know where they're going. They don't know why they were even born in this earth. They have no sense of purpose. No sense of direction. And after abusing their bodies and abusing all their senses by filling them with drugs or pleasure, they end up in a terrible dark place, friends. And you and I have the answer. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. I said his name is Jesus. And oh God, that God would do something in our hearts as Nehemiah. Nehemiah sought the face of God. And I tell you, in seeking the face of God, he didn't go around with a placard saying, you know, I'm seeking the face of God. He didn't announce himself to the king or anybody. But I want to tell you, men and women that start spending time with God, people take note. It said in the scriptures, they took note that they had been with Jesus. And as this, this man spent time with his God, even though he's in, a, he's in the most eminent position, this is higher than being the head of the United Nations, friends. This is... This is the supreme leader over the largest empire the world had known at this time. Spread a huge empire, vast empire, powerful empire. And he's right there, friends, and he's able to influence power if he should want to. He has a cushy number. Why rock the boat? I have torn down the old barns and built new ones, and I have many good things laid up for many days ahead. But that wasn't who he was, and I believe that's not who you are, and I believe that's not who I am. Can you say amen today? That's not who we are, amen. By natural nature, we're greedy, but a new nature has come. Hallelujah. Something of heaven came into us when we were born again and brought a different appetite, an appetite that's alien to the old nature, friends, but it is undeniable. 
And should we just open our ear this morning to that very living being of the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in you and urging you and unctioning you to the cause of the gospel? And God will begin to bring you to a place of intimacy with himself. But you must go. Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't come. And yet the whole overture of God to come and spend time with him. And this man took it. Very quickly, I won't read this. You can read this chapter tonight. It's one of the most phenomenal books. By the way, I might have said this on the pulpit before. The book of Nehemiah is actually a book that's studied in Harvard. I learned this from my friend Rick Higgins many years ago. Rick's the oracle. He's a teacher as well, histori- historical teacher. But apparently, in, 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 in the area of commerce and dealing with commerce and finances, they study the book of Nehemiah as a template on how to influence society to become participants in the economy. And so it is a great book as you read it. Everybody that had a vested interest was given their portion at the wall to build the walls of Jerusalem because they knew that if the enemy came in to attack Jerusalem, if my part of the wall is vulnerable, they're going to get in there first and kill my wife and my children. So they understood that they had a calling on them. And so there was a collective responsibility of this nation to rise up. And so this book is studied by secular people. So interesting, such a rich book and a great book for you to read tonight. You'll get through it in a short hour. You'll have it read, but it's so rich in history and practicality. But this man sought the face of God and his, his king, the empire, empire, uh, emperor eventually saw it and he gave him leave to go back to Jerusalem. Not only did he give him leave, he gave him troops. He gave him finances, amen. It's amazing how when God begins to move, even the heart is even the darkest men. This man's an antichrist. Artaxagus is not a believer, do you understand? But he saw something in the Christian. He saw something in the believer, something that was true in nature. He saw a burden in him and he gave him everything he needed to go to Jerusalem. And he had to take the 900 mile journey. Long way to go, friends. I mean, sometimes your dear old pastor doesn't like to fly. And it's so much comfortable to fly. I mean, you're there two hours, so big deal. Oh, my back will be sore. Uh, you know, I rather might, might take a drive to Donegal to preach or something like that. And, oh, do I want to go to four and a half hours by car in a nice car on a nice road? This man, for three months, talk about testing what's in your heart. I'm sure you're 20 miles down the road and you're getting saddle sore and you're thinking, gee, I don't know if it's worth it at all. But there's something in this man's heart that he went three months and he gets there. And then what he sees is not a pretty sight when he gets there either, friends. There's always going to be opposition. opposition. There's no winning without working, friends. And there's no warring. Where there's, no, where there's no working and warring, friends, there's absolutely no traction. There is no opportunity without opposition. There is no open door set before us without there being many adversaries to obstruct us from entering it. Whenever the saints say, let us arise and build, the enemy will always say, let us arise and oppose. There is no triumph without trouble, no victory without vigilance. And let me tell you, there is no cross. Let me tell you, there is a cross in the way to every crown that is worth wearing. Every crown that's worth wearing, there's a cross to carry, friends. And Nehemiah is a man of prayer, faith, courage, and action. And that comes through the entire narrative of of this prophet's life here. Oh God, make us intensely spiritual, but keep us perfectly natural and thoroughly practical. Nehemiah is stricken with this grief and he's fasted and he's prayed and I want to tell you friends that's what God is going to call you to today. He's on that journey and no sooner does he get to Jerusalem. He's met by Shambhala and Tobiah and, and these are characters that you'll see repeated in this book. They are Samaritans. The, the Jews would have looked at them as half-breeds. Shambhala would have been the petty, the governor of that time set in place by the Assyrians to govern the region and he's a Samaritan. The Samaritans were some were the Jews that had intermarried with the Gentiles and became a hybrid in their religious, philosophical, uh, and their political thinking. So really, the Jews really didn't have a lot of time for the Samaritans. Neither did the Samaritans for the Jews. The Samaritans had no concern for the Jewish population. They were, they were, more, they were more, you could say, they were more aligned to, to, the, to, to the Babylonians or the Persians at that time than they were to anything of a nation, Israel, again. And so there's no real care in the heart of Shambhala and Tobiah for the Jewish population. There's no care for the city of Jerusalem. There's no care for the testimony of the Lord. They had already uh, watered down the truths of God, the revelation of God, and they had hybrided it with different religious thinkings. And so they were very confused in their understanding. Yet 
they had a respect for the Torah of Moses, which was interesting. They still held the Torah as one of their principal books of faith, but they had taken such a, a, a wide view of it that there was a lot of antipathy between the, the Jews and the Samaritans at the time. And so when Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem, he's not greeted with a lot of favor because now Nehemiah is going to become the new governor. And so there was a lot of political wrangling going on. Jerusalem isn't waste, as we said. The temple is there. The people, there's some people there. He's come with a, an amount of soldiers. He's come with an amount of supplies. They cut down trees in Lebanon. They brought them there with them. So they had come prepared to build the walls of Jerusalem. And yet when they get there, there's this resistance. And I want to tell you, friends, there's no easy path. If you and I think that we can engage with God in the plan for this world and not be opposition, not have opposition, friends, you're, you've joined the wrong army. Amen? You're in the wrong place. Christian life is not an easy life. It's an impossible life without the Holy Spirit. Amen? But He has promised you and I the Holy Spirit. He's promised you the help and the comfort of knowing that God is with you. And so when He gets there, the governors, the ex-governor, they do everything in their will everything in their power to usurp the project. I mean, yet when he gets there, he goes secretly for three days and he begins to survey the walls. And he eventually gathers the Jews, he shares the vision with them, and there's a great sense of euphoria within the hearts of the Jews for many reasons, of course. They're now going to get walled, a walled in city that has a level of protection. As I said to you, it's not like today. We have to remember in that old world, they were vulnerable all the time. All the time attacks were coming and all the time small raiding parties, all the time people sneaking in and out of the cities, robbing, stealing, pillaging, murdering, always watching, no, no sense of real security going on. And a Walden city brought that level of security and posterity for the vision of the Jewish people. And so they greeted it with great joy. He brings the vision to them and he brings this concept of setting up 42 different working groups among the people. Huge project, but he didn't think that through. He didn't think that when he got there. He had nine months from the time we left Babylon, how he was going to engage this entire structure, how he was going to build it. It wasn't that he was impractical. It didn't, he didn't make it up in the morning when he got there. By the way, let's, uh, what are we going to do? He already knew he would be planning. Amen. There's, there's planning involved, friends, with the kingdom. It's not some sort of spontaneous reaction all the time, friends. And so this man came in. He was going to get everybody invested. And that's what God would do with you and I. We are all invested in building the kingdom. You have a part to play. And if you shouldn't play it, friends, not only are you making it vulnerable for your wife and your family and your children, you will be making it vulnerable for other wives, family, and children also. You have a part to play, and you have a question to answer one day because it would either be well done or why. I said it would either be well done or why. I hope it won't be why. I hope for you and I that the sum total of our lives will not just be about paying our bills, friends, and just try to get some sort of respite out of reality and, and, and just look after me, my, and my own. I hope to God that's not the thinking that we've all sunk to, where the Christian life is a life given for the lives of others. It's given for the glory of God and for the souls of men, and that's the army of God. And that's no faint thing to say, friends. That's no small statement. The ramifications for that are absolutely life-changing. It means that the Christian is intentional with everything he does. The Christian is intentional in how they walk, how they get up, how they dress. Yes, how they dress. Is it giving honor to the Lord or is it bringing attention to self? How we talk, how we eat, friends, everything is about bringing glory to God. How we use our resources or how we don't use our resources. Every area of the Christian life, friends, is to live and to move in Him and have our being in Him. Everything is done through the prism of the kingdom of God. We are given. We are fanatical. There's nothing else in this world worth living for but the glory of God and the souls of men. Everything else is without true purpose. And the reality is, look around you. Everybody else that finds a different purpose, look at their lives. Look at the sum total of how they're living and their existence. And they are of all men to be, to be pitied, friends. To go through such endeavor with all your life to become the top of your trade, the promoted one in your business, to win the lotto or whatever you think. And all of a sudden, today the Lord requires your soul, you fool, to have lived. You build too low when you build beneath the sky, let me tell you, friends. You build too low, friends. And so the vision of, of, of Nehemiah 
And the vision was always because it was not just about walls. It was not just about a city. There was a promise in that city. Through that nation was going to come the salvation of the world. And the devil did everything he could to usurp that. He did everything he could to, to destroy the children of Israel, to destroy the promise of God, to destroy the arrival of the seed of Jesus Christ coming into this world to bring the propitiation of God's, mercy, God's judgment upon man. And so he begins to set the people in place. And you know, in church, and this is where you and I need to understand that every Christian must live by, according to a godly order. You're not an island on your own. You're not some oak that, well, I see it this way. And it's all about me and my vision. Whether you like it or not, God has given you leaders, okay? And they are not, we are not the most perfect or any leader for that matter. I can only talk about us. We don't have it all together in every area. There is a godly order both within the church, amen? So if you have a problem with that, don't take it up at me. I didn't invent the church, and I certainly didn't invent the old pastor. I would prefer in many ways to have been an electrician again. I talked to a friend earlier on. I said one of the greatest joys of my life was being an electrician. I just walked into those houses on a Monday morning, set up my ramp, drilled those holes, ran those cables, sweated, and got home and loved my wife, and that was it for me. But God called me to be a minister, amen, and other pastors have their journey to ministry. But there's a divine order if there's going to be a divine victory. David's men, the Bible says, were mighty because they knew how to keep rank. They weren't always second-guessing. They weren't all, you know, Nehemiah had to go through it all, friends. People second-guessing the vision. Disloyal brethren, ridicule. And that's all happened. He faced it all. And the first thing was ridicule. And sometimes you and I, you're called to a great work. But yet, what they said about the Jews, look at those feeble Jews. Even if a fox jumps up in that bit of a wall, it'll fall over. They mocked him. Shambhala, Tobiah, the Samaritans, the Amorites, the Perizzites, all those nations around. They looked, the Hittites were looking and they were laughing at the Jews scrabbling on the ground, trying to put some stones together to look after themselves. They laughed them out. They didn't try to attack at the beginning because they knew they had the imprimatur of a taxicus to do this work and commission it. But they did everything to discourage them. And I want to tell you, the devil will do everything to discourage you. He'll ridicule you. Look at you poor little Christians in your dorky little prayer meetings and your dorky little churches. What do you think you can achieve? We've got the United Nations. We've got the scientific fraternity. We've got the educational facilities. And what do you bring to the equation? Ha, ha, ha. But I want to tell you, it didn't stop. He prayed, he sought God, and he continued to work. And that's the hour we're in today, friends. Regardless of what men and women will say about you, seek the face of God. Continue to work. Keep your head down. Amen. Amen. Keep working for the kingdom. Don't listen to those voices of discouragement. Those voices of ridicule. They ridiculed him. And when they couldn't ridicule him, they put threat over him. And they put out the rumor and they got all the nations around, small tribal nations. They got into a little federation that they were going to attack the Jews. Now they also knew by doing that they could have brought down the ire of, of Ataxicus on them. But it was just the sheer putting it out there putting it through the little networks that at any moment there was going to be a massive attack upon them as they were defending the city. And so you know, he prayed, he sought God, and then he said, you put a sword along your side as well, amen. And so it didn't stop them, even the threat of violence. And I want to tell you, friends, just brothers and sisters in this world today, not us, thank God here in Ireland, we live in a great country. God willing, it will never change, but even if it should change, we take our comfort in knowing that the men and women of God, whether we're under fear or threat of our physical integrity, we will continue to pray. We will continue to work. We will continue to build the kingdom of God. Amen. And they stood in that place, friends, faithfully. And that's what God would say to you this morning. That's what God would say to me. Continue to work. Be practical. Don't just be super spiritual. Yes, you have to pray. You have to seek the face of God. But you have to have your sword alongside you. And you have to be working. You're not just some sort of talk machine. Do you understand? Hallelujah. You're not just some sort of opinion. You know, like Saul in his tent shining his armor. There's a Goliath needs to be taken down. Amen. There's battles need to be fought. And there's men that need to stand up and be counted. The army of God has been moving for 2,000 years, friends. And the blood of the saints is the fuel of the church. And if you do any search of church history, you can see we got nowhere without men that prayed and men that labored for the Lord. And this man is such a phenomenal example to us of prayerfulness, mindfulness, purposefulness. And kept his focus and he didn't care about the ridicule. And then when the threats came, he just met that in faith. 
We see in Nehemiah a great practical and spiritual blend. He said in chapter 4, verse 9, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night. Hallelujah. Do you know what? Whatever this world contrives against us, we can pray and we can set a watch against them. They think they're watching you. No, no, no. We're watching them. Hallelujah. We're watching the seasons and the times that we're in. We are the children of Ishakar. Amen. We are those who discern and see what's happening in this world. And we pray and seek the deliverance of God and the power of God. Amen. And God will move on our behalf. Surely God will. We prayed and set a watch against them. The blend of the practical and the spiritual. Today it can be, and I would admit to this, it can be too much motion and not enough unction. Organizing can crowd out agonizing, and that's true. But Nehemiah's brilliance is the spiritual and the practical. Trust in God. Keep your powder dry, Oliver Cromwell once said. God help us to keep... God help us, though, to keep us from letting the practical overrun the spiritual. Let me tell you, when that happens, the practical has become totally unpractical. God keep us in that place where we are not relying upon the best of a natural mind. God keep us where we're relying on the mind of the Spirit. But we also understand even when the Spirit speaks, there will be practicality that we have to go. Journeys we'll have to make. Sweat we'll have to produce, friends. And, and money we'll have to pour into and time and energy and effort. Nehemiah had to overcome all these great oppositions from without and within. Ridicule, sarcasm. I want to tell you, many of you here, many of you young people, you've let sarcasm rob you from serving God. Just because you live with a sarky brother, or a sarky sister, or your colleagues are sarky about, about your Christian faith, you need to man up and not put away that silly sarcasm and not be defined by their sarcasm. They're the ones that should be ashamed of themselves. We stand for what's righteous, amen. We stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only true thing in this world worth fighting for and living for is the gospel of Jesus. And so that sarcasm, that someone else's sarcastic action and reactions, you stop you from entering into what God has for you. Don't be robbed by them, friends. Don't be robbed by attitudes. Don't, let, don't worry about what they think about you. It's nice that they do think well of you. We want people to think well of us. We should work for people to think well of us. But that's not who we, that's not why we labor, friends. We want to know what God thinks of us. Amen. We want to know how we're bearing in the purposes of God. And hopefully in that journey, we carry them with us too. But don't let it hold you back. I remember being a young man in the trade. I left, I started at 15 as an electrician. And on the building side, I was the only Christian. Wall-to-wall -wall pornography in the porta cabins. I'm not lying to you. That was back then. Back those days, nobody really worried whether you had a hard hat or steel toe cap boots. So it was a war zone, okay? I just want to tell you, those who were in the building years ago understood it was a different today. Today, it's very highly compliant and safe, safety passes and site protection and all that sort of stuff. Back then, it wasn't. Back then, common, I would think nearly three times a week on the side I was, there was a fist fight every, every lunch break. There's all these apprentices just trying it on with each other, you know, and just getting angry. Nobody cared. And, and even sometimes the foremans are putting bets on the side. I lied to you not. I lied to you not. There was times I'm thinking, I'm, going, I'm dead here. I'm 15 going on 16 years of age with these fully grown men. And I'm the Christian. And then I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm idiotic enough to let them know about it. Oh, my gosh. All of a sudden. Thank God I looked like 19 or 20. I think it was, I think it was just, my mom said I'm big boned and not fat. Thank you, mom. <laughs> and so the, the eyes, the attention, the ridicule, the sarcasm. I would come in and have my, my lunch or my 10 o'clock tea break. And I want to tell you the sarcasm and the filth and the talk was so bad that it nearly tried to get you to retreat out of being a Christian. Or being ashamed of it, friends. I, I tell you, there was many times I wanted to just blend into the, you know, not blend into the paperwork because that was all pornography. But you know what I'm saying. I just wanted to blend into the background and not be, not be viewed in such, in such an awkward manner. But I thank God. I thank God I was surrounded by, by my great mom and dad that I saw week in and week out go down to Mallow, preach the gospel. They'd go on the streets of Cork preaching the gospel. My dad got kicked and beaten at times, spat on, pilloried by friends and family, and they never gave up. And I said, by the grace of God, I want that sarcasm stop me from being who I am in Christ. Yeah, I had my challenges. I had my weaknesses like you. I had my failures just like many of us have. But I was undeterred, friends. And I want to warm your heart today be, to be undeterred. 
you know, don't change no matter what. No matter what comes up against you, don't change. Oh, this man was intensely practical and spiritual. Sought God, set a guard against him, didn't let sarcasm come in. <laughs> that is what the world in its wisdom will say to the church. You feeble church in your feeble prayer meetings. Oh, God, help us. God, help us today. He tried to bring fear upon them. Taunts of an army, I told you about an attack. And then ultimately then deception from within the camp. These are all the things that came against Nehemiah. There was disloyal brethren. What an awful way to try to live your life as a Christian for the Lord, to have disloyal brethren. There was those in the camp that were bribed by the Samaritans to try to get Nehemiah to hide in the temple by putting a rumor out that his life was going to, he was going to be murdered, that there was a hit out on him. And then what did this show that this man was a fearful, feeble, you know, you know, not worthy to be followed. And they were saying, no, you need to go to the temple. You need to lock yourself in the temple. They're going to come and kill you, Nehemiah. But he knew from the spirit that this was nothing other than a trick. He knew from the spirit that this was not, even if they're going to, they can't. I want to tell you this, friends. You are, you are indestructible until God says so. You, you don't go a day before your time. I know I fly in the face of some people with this, but I don't believe you go. The man that walks in the Lord doesn't go a day before his time. Amen. And so he knew this. He knew God. God had called him to a project. And he said, no, I'm not, going, I'm not putting my any odds on what's going to happen after the project is over. Who knows? But I know until those walls are built, God has sent me to build those walls. And until they're built, they can't touch me. And I want to tell you, friends, when God's called you and you know the call of God in your life, you have to hold on. When God's called me to do this, and I don't know what's going to happen after this, but I know until this is done, I'm here. Can you hear amen? amen. That's why you need purpose, because if you have no purpose, you don't know when he's going to take you. You don't know why you exist as a Christian. You better be looking over your shoulder all the time, because you just don't know. But I want to tell you, I am until he says I'm not. And that's what this man did. He lived, and he refused. And this, this Shemaniah, I think he was... He was the person that was bribed to put this false rumor into Nehemiah to make him fearful, to run, to make him look weak publicly, to look, make him look like a coward, not believable, not fallible. You know? And so he didn't, he resisted. But oh, friends, how awful it must have been when he heard that it came from one of his own Jewish leaders. How awful it must have been, friends, and you will in the work of God. You would have some Christians who say, you don't need to fast, you don't really need to pray. Some will whisper in your ears, and they love the Lord. But I want to tell you, you need to fast. And I want to say you need to pray. And there's no twisting away from that, friends. There's no playing games with that. You can, you can, you can play around with all you want. You can, you can, when God has called to fast, he's called to fast. When God has called us to pray, he's called us to pray. And I want to tell you, no matter what fanciful words come your way, if there's a work to be done, there's warring to be done. There's lifting to be done, friends. There's a real enemy. There's a flesh that will come against you. And don't let, the, don't let natural, normal thinking come in. Just say, listen, thank you for your advice, but God's called us to fast. God's called us to pray. And I'm, weary, I'm working and I'm warring in the things of God. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't let the enemy rob you. Don't let his bluff, the rumors. His response was frank. He renewed his prayer, friends. And he separated from them. He wouldn't go and work with them. He went and he prayed. He sought God. Again, friends, courage, honesty, and prayer. It's a sad thing to say that there are many like Shemaniah and Nordariah in most churches today. Men and women who have professed conversion to Christ. Who share in the fellowship and the labor of the saints. But never, nonetheless seem to find a cruel pleasure in the fall of a Christian leader. To your face, they are friendly, funny, saintly, but behind your back, mischievous, mischief makers. They profess loyalty and concern, yet if he slips or falls, they love to gossip about it among the brethren or talk it around the town, friends. Oh, what pains in the heart such disloyal brethren can be to you and to I, friends. How often we can have been wounded by another Christian. But I want to tell you the antidote. Keep praying and keep working. Keep praying and keep working. Keep praying and hold that sword on your side. Amen. Keep praying and don't let the enemy take you off the work of the Lord. Tobias and the fifth, fifth columns who come in behind us, friends, to try and deter the work of God. 
All the Christian leaders can do is keep on, friends, keep on building. If there's anyone listening this morning, wherever you are, don't be deterred by disloyalty around you. You will find that that's a human failure. But keep on praying. Keep on fasting as God calls you. Keep on laboring for the gospel. Whatever the report is, friends, keep building for God. Continue to cast yourself on the word of God and upon prayer. And God will keep you. And God will hold you. They tried everything. Cliques, groups. Eventually, even Tobiah married into the priestly family. Can you imagine that? Even they infiltrated in disloyal brethren, Samaritans. They entered in. But it didn't matter. Through all these hindrances, this man knew how to keep praying. How he, kept, he knew how to keep going, friends. And what a phenomenal thing happened. Even though there was rubbish, friends, and even though there was greed, and there was so much going on, that, that wall went up in record time. Praise God. I said that wall went up in record time, that the nations had to take note of it. They knew that God was among them. Nearly three miles of wall, 36 foot high, went together in 52 days. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. An absolute miracle that what, when men and women of God unite with one vision and one heart and seek God in prayer, friends, let me tell you, you are unstoppable. The kingdom of God is advancing. I want to tell you nothing. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Men and women that say, we're going to stand together. We're going to pray together. We're going to war together. We're going to work together. And we will not let anyone shame us out of that. Whatever rumor comes in, whatever attack comes against you, Stay in your part of the wall. That's where God has called you. Protect your family. Protect your community. Protect those ones around you. That's why you're there. Build the kingdom of God where you're at. That's your part of the wall. No one else is going to do it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, there'll be a standard raised against him. Hallelujah. And you will have taken your part in the purposes of God. And you will have lived a good life, friends, let me tell you. You will have lived a life that you can look back with great, great gratitude and a great sense of joy. And you can say, as Paul said, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. And now there is a prize, a crown waiting for me. I want you to be able to say that with confidence this morning. I want you, Christian, this morning to be able to raise your head and say, up to now I've been a little tepid, a little bit lazy, but not anymore. Nehemiah has inspired me to be prayerful and practical and to keep going regardless of the attack. Amen. Oh, we have an opportunity. You've got one life to live, friends. No reincarnation. One life to live. Give it your best shot and give it to God. Let it be said of you that your life mattered. Amen. Let me say of you when they lay you in the ground one day that your children and your grandchildren say that's a man of God, that's a woman of God. That because of them, other people stand. Because of them, the gospel went forth. Because of them, I'm here today. Let it be said of you, friends, that you stood for something greater than yourself. Something greater than your king or your queen or your country. You stood for him. Hallelujah. The greatest virtue of all, the greatest nobility of all is to live for the glory of God. And Nehemiah teaches that he moved from comfort and security. It cost him. It even cost him financially. You read it in the book. He fed the people out of his own resources. Where the rest were using the people all the time. Usury was going on. They were hiring out money, letting money lending at extortionate rates. And they were oppressing slaves. And they were, oh my gosh, what was going on? And he, he abolished it all, friends. Oh, and I tell you, when the gospel comes, everything changes. Amen. Everybody is loved. Everybody is fed. Everybody is, everybody is accepted in the kingdom of God because we work for the walls of the gospel, for the walls of salvation. Hallelujah. And the gates are called praise. Hallelujah. The walls of salvation and the gates are called praise. Nehemiah, still all these years later, blending the practical and the spiritual, regardless of opposition, he prayed, he fasted, he sought the face of God. And I, I want to tell you, friends, there's no other way than that. If there was another shortcut, I would have found it. I'm sure you would have as well. And this is the way that God would call us, to seek him. And as we seek him, to worship him, the entrance of his word then will bring light. The doors will open. The provision will come. Because when God touches your heart, He's got everything. Amen. 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 That's why you don't hear a lot of us here at Court Church speak into your pocket. We could try that. 
might be able to guilt trip you to give a bit more, give what you should be giving. But I do believe with all my heart, when God's got your heart, he's got everything. I said he's got everything. And in that place of seeking him, you'll find his heart and he's going to find your heart. And you'll have vision and purpose. And in our generation, the walls of salvation will go up, friends. And the gates, as the scripture said, will be called praise. And you and I will have done the very best that a man could ever do or a woman could ever do with their life. Fight the good fight of faith. Would you stand with me this morning as we go and pray and ask the Lord for help. Ask him for help. Because what I'm preaching to you this morning, friends, is not done through natural strength. It has to be received by us, but it's only done in the strength of the Lord. I understand that, that we can make an altar call and make a commitment to God and walk out unchanged, and tomorrow is exactly the same. I don't want to make a joke of the altar. And I don't want to have another false dawn for your life or for my life. But should you desire, should you truly desire to let your life matter in this world for God, and that would become your chief joy to serve Him and love Him, knowing that as you seek the kingdom, He gives you everything else because He's a good God. Knowing that your bills will be paid, friends. Knowing that He will look after your family. Because He said, you have to trust me or seek me first. Seek me to live. Seek my purposes first. And I will give, I will give all these things to you anyhow. And if you want to be like a Nehemiah in the hour that we're in to see the kingdom established, I invite you to come to an altar this morning. I invite you to leave your seats, Omnicron or whatever. And stay socially distanced, that's fine. I invite you to come and just... Come to a place here this morning and say, Lord, I'm here, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself the purpose of the gospel. I, I am so in today, Lord. I'm going to seek your face. My life, Lord God, is yours again. For the last few years, it's been about, about self-preservation. But Jesus said those who seek to save their lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives for my sake will gain it. And I want to encourage you, Christian, Give your life afresh to the Lord. Let 2022 be a year that you are like a man possessed by the presence of God and the Spirit of God. That you are giving your life wholly and totally to the work of God. And I want to tell you, God will give himself to you without measure, friends. He will pour his presence into your life. You will see miracles happen that you've never seen before. You will see things change in your life, in your family, in your worldviews and people around you. You will see hearts knit together, love restored, bonds, relationships, you'll see God move in an area that you could never move, you could never change, but he'll do it. He's the one that can change the heart of the king because he holds it in his hand, amen. As we come and worship this morning, I just want to invite you to come. If you're uncomfortable to come, you can stay where you are, but if you wanted to come to the altar this morning, we just pray for you here and let God speak to your hearts. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.